This is What Next, the future fiction podcast exploring tomorrow through the stories of today. Utopia, dystopia, time travel, the apocalypse, from aliens to zombies and everything in between. Every episode is a new future. Would you rather work in a job where you don't talk to people at all? You just get on with your work. It's just you and the work. Or a job where you have to talk to people all the time. All you do is interacting and conversations. See, I think what you've just asked there is um, the question that extroverted introverts ask themselves on a (laughs) daily basis. Because, I mean, we love people. I love talking. I like meeting new people. Also, really hate it. My problem is I'm not a morning person. So if I could choose a job where I didn't talk in the morning at all and had good chats in the afternoon, that's what I would do. But I think I've hated having to talk more than I've ever felt the need to, like, talk. No way. Yeah. So I think, because I can go home and talk to my family, it's not like I can't talk to anyone. I think I'd have to choose the not talking. It's the small talk that I really struggle with as well. How's the weather? God, no. Yeah. Like, there's only, I have the energy to do it and I can have to because I work with old people and that's like their topical question number (laughs) one. Right, right. But, you know, I get a little break in between where I drive and that's like time to myself. So, yeah, no, I'd have to go with the not talking. I just don't like people that much. Oh, I'm so surprised. I'm really really? happy I asked that question. I really thought you would be a just have to talk to people sort of person. I didn't see you as a... That's because I like you, Carl, so I talk to you a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll take it as a compliment. I'll be flattered by it. So you should. (laughs) The reason I've asked is that I have read The Employees by Mm. Olga Raun. Ooh. I'm taking a run at that pronunciation. <laughs> I was about to say that. Basically. I've got well, the book in front of me and I think you've done pretty well. Yeah, um, I mean, so she's Danish, the author. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to decide, is it more offensive to take my best attempt at pronunciation in Danish or to with a, a language I don't speak, just mm-hmm. for clarity, like mm-hmm. anyone couldn't have guessed it from that. <laughs> or do I pronounce the anglicised pronunciation of the name and just say Olga Raven, which is probably how you'd guess at pronouncing that, yeah. right? I don't know how to answer that. I did, no. I did recruitment for years and I still, sometimes I was like, do I just say hello? Do I try and pronounce <laughs> her name? What's, what would be being more offensive to me? I don't know. I yeah, don't know so I've read The Employees. It's by an author of texts. Okay, yes, yes that, was, that was good. <laughs> it's much worse, isn't it? Yes, oh, yes, yeah. it All was, right. yeah. Well, I, I just uh, won't try for a name again for yeah, the rest of the yeah. episode. <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, it is a very interesting book. It was nominated for the International Booker Prize mm. uh, a year or two ago. So that means it's book in translation. So it was written in Danish and then translated to English. You've got the book in front of you. How would you describe that cover? So, I mean, it kind of does. I feel like I've seen a few books like it in this sort of style. The cover is black with the title in white text, just at the top left of the page and then there's a an orange square just over a little bit of the text so you can still read what it says but it's just ever so slightly just ever so slightly covering it it kind of reminds me of when you try and insert a picture in word yeah right right yeah (laughs) it never goes where you want to and you have to spend about half an hour try to overlay under (laughs) i don't know but it's very minimal very plain kind of makes me think of like a handbook like a you know like that you get in work or something this is how you do xyz so it's not it's not flashy, it's not like he is everything. But then that, that orange overlay just kinda of like 
like it does in Word, it kind of sets everything a little bit a little bit off kilter. So yes. there's something ever so slightly not quite right. Yes. Well, it's slightly annoying, really, because I've read the book and you haven't, and you've summed it up perfectly from ah, your analysis ah. of the cover alone. So I guess that means it's a good cover, but it mm-hmm. also makes me feel like I kind of wasted my time reading the book when oh, I could have well. just given it to you oh, well, to yeah. do that with. Let's just end the end the podcast now. <laughs> so I think lots of black space and then you've got that orange bit kind of overlaying the white text in an awkward way mm. yeah you're right it does make it feel like something's wrong or weirdly compiled and it's it's good that you say it's like handbook because that's essentially what this is these are statements given by employees of a company uh, the subtitle of this is workplace novel of the 22nd century i think is that um... what it says Yes. 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 yes, <laughs> okay, yes. <good. laughs> well done. So, what I think is great about that cover is it captures the setting of the novel brilliantly, right? Mm. So, you've got that white text, but then you've got a big load of black space. I mean, imagine any movie you've seen that's set on a spaceship. So, take mm. Alien as an example. You've got that like stark black and white contrast. Mm-hmm. And that's part of what makes space feel so vast and cold and distant so this book is set on a spaceship right somewhere and yeah (laughs) cool (laughs) it's a spaceship somewhere and it's got very much that kind of cold distant thing because when you say it's like a handbook this is a selection of employee statements in fact why don't you go ahead and read the introduction because i think that'll give us some good context Mm -hmm. for the book overall okay so so it's like literally it's just in like statements of employees it's not like correct yeah so this this introduction that you're about to read is the only part that is not just a transcript for statement that an employee is given right cool cool okay okay here goes the following statements were collected over a period 18 months during which time the committee interviewed the employees with a view to gaining insight into how they related to the objects and the rooms in which they were placed It was our wish by means of these unprejudiced recordings to gain knowledge of local workflows and to investigate the possible impacts of the objects, as well as the ways those impacts, or perhaps relationships, might give rise to permanent deviations in the individual employee, and moreover to assess to what degree they might be said to precipitate reduction or enhancement of performance, task-related understanding, and the acquisition of new knowledge and skills thereby illuminating their specific consequences for production. There you go. <laughs> Isn't that horrible to read? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. Well done reading that. I think you've done a great job. But it's just, uh, it's like every every bit of corporate horribleness yes. you've ever read yeah. in your life, right? It's like the awful things in contracts where they have to, it's like basically one massive sentence with a lot of colons and commas mm. and semi- with lots of big words. Yeah, I think not even like contracts necessarily. It's not even got the integrity of a legal document. Mm. It's much more nonsense for the sake of nonsense. Yeah, for the sake of sounding official. Yeah, the sort of thing that people in companies give to each other as reports that are meant to help them understand things, but actually just muddy the waters, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think that the reason I've asked you to read it, despite it being so completely horrible and full of <laughs> yeah, corporate nonsense, <laughs> the reason I've asked you to read that is because I think it, it sets the context really, really well, because that introduction, like I say, is the only thing that is not directly an employee's statement. And the mm-hmm. rest of the book, it's not quite chronological, so it doesn't start with statement one and then statement two and statement three and statement four. 
I think maybe they run in roughly in order. There are some that are a little bit mixed up and mm-hmm. there are some that are missing. So it might go statement one to statement four to statement two to statement nine. You mm-hmm. know, like it's, it's just a little bit jumbled, but roughly follows through. Mm. What I found interesting about that is it's very clinical. Yes. Very like almost you would, if you didn't know, I guess what the, you know, if you hadn't sort of introduced it, like introduced it to as being employees and it's part of a chip where obviously people work, I would have thought that it was coming from more of a scientific research thing, like an experiment as opposed to this is a workplace. Yeah. And that's a good observation because it's kind of both. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get onto the experiment side of things a little bit later when we talk about the objects, which you'll have noticed in that introduction. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about the format here is that it it means that we have a group as a protagonist. So there is no individual. As you read through these statements, you can't, there's no particular voice. You can't imagine who's giving you the statement. Mm. And the statements, it turns out as you go through, are given by a mixture of humans. So people who lived on Earth and are now working on the spaceship and humanoids who are right. robot Ooh, workers, yeah. essentially but modelled entirely on humans. Mm -hmm. And what's cool as you read the statements is you might get a little hint of someone might make reference to what they used to do on Earth or someone might make reference to I've been taught this emotion, right? But that's all you get. You couldn't narrow it down to, oh, there's roughly these characters in the book. There's no character. The group is the protagonist. The employees are the protagonist. Mm. I don't think I've read anything like that before. I thought that was a really, really interesting thing to do. Yeah it kind of makes everyone the same, right? Yeah. And it puts you in the position of being on the board, I guess, of this company, yeah, reading this report on your employees as mm-hmm. one big homogenized group mm. whose efficiency you're trying to maximize and you're trying <laughs> yeah. to understand how to get the most from the employees. Yeah. And the best way to do that is to completely dehumanize them and see them yeah. as one uh, homogenous yeah. group. You know, you can see in your day-to-day life there is so much dehumanization when it comes to, you know, the corporate side of improving any kind of business, whether like structurally, whether like output, all that kind of stuff, even in like government side of things when they're trying to work out, you know, how do we assign the appropriate amounts of funds or whatever, Mm -hmm. it becomes so like number-based. So, I mean, everyone complains about that, don't they, about the, you know, to HR, I'm just a number, but... It's so interesting to see that then put into this format. Right. right. There's such a strong relatability mm. in looking at individuals doing work yeah. and going, how do we make this amorphous group more efficient, yeah. more <laughs> like, how do we maximize the numbers yeah. whilst not considering individuality yeah. the tiniest bit? Yeah. Which is what I think, you know, it's such a, sometimes such a core part of like future fiction is the idea that no matter what setting we are in, like those fundamental flaws that we have as humans are still present. Like this is in a ship, like you said, somewhere. Yeah. It's a spaceship somewhere. And yet we relate to it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, precisely. It's a metaphorical distancing that happens to us all at work, which is Mm. the bosses distance themselves from the employees. And it's that extrapolated onto an actual space setting, right? It would be good, I think, to get a flavor of the kind of statements in Mm -hmm. this because they're a little bit obscure. Okay, Um, okay. So if you could read statement 41 for us, this is just one that I've picked out of the book as I think a good example of the style of writing in here. Okay, it might just be because I've been learning 
bits of law. But when you said, could you read statement four? I was sort of like, felt like I was on the stand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Statement 41. What I miss most from home is shopping. It sounds a bit silly, I know. If ever I couldn't grasp that something was happening, like when I got the job here and departure time was coming up, I'd go out and buy stuff in preparation for it, and it helped me understand that it was for real. I understand impending events through shopping. I understood the circumstances through the items that characterised them. Shopping had a kind of numbing effect on me, and now it's no longer something I do. I've started having thoughts and feelings that have turned out to be sad. There you go. That's powerful, isn't it? It is. And it I think it gives a flavour. The reason I asked you to read that one is like it's a short statement, mm. but I feel like you could stop after every sentence and think about what it's saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's there's a good mixture of some kind of lengthy, profound thoughts in there about like how the person uses shopping and how mm. it helps them process stuff. But then I've had thoughts that turn out to be sad. It's such a simple yeah. and direct and kind of disheartening thing. I mean, what I love about that is I find that, you know, people will, especially within writing, try and be really profound in things that they say. And often it just ends up kind of falling a bit flat because either it's been said before or whatever. But what I, I love, like you said, that just the simplicity of that is just somebody's like inner monologue, just thought process about whatever they've been put in front of them has made them think about it just feels so raw and so real. Like, oh yeah, I, I used to do that and I don't anymore. Yeah. And actually that meant a lot. So yeah, no, yeah, that's such a great, great little caption there. Yeah, and you're exactly right because it, it is just a person's thoughts, but also we've got no concept of who or what that person is, mm. right? We've got no way to imagine what that narrator looks like mm. we haven't even got the interviewer in our mind because you, i can't figure out what that person's been asked can yeah you? no absolutely not and i think that the whole thing is just i mean it's short it's only a small um, book but it's just a compilation of statements like that mm. and it would be so easy for that to just feel very obscure and difficult but just yeah. something about something about the way that stylistically it's brought together is so brilliant and it keeps you going and it keeps you turning through the statements mm. and it's a compelling thing to read even though for most of it you haven't really got a clue what's going on or what the point is mm. and i think what that leads into is that knowing what's going on or what the point is isn't really the idea with this yeah and this is where we start to talk about the objects so you remember in that introduction they mentioned that these statements are employees reaction to the objects yeah right what do you assume that that might mean? What could the objects be? I mean, obviously, I've not read the entire right. thing. I've got no real picture. I've only read that first bit and, and this bit. I just don't know. Like, I can only think that they've maybe brought something in, like a shopping bag, mm -hmm. and given it to this person, and this person probably hasn't seen or used or anything of this kind since they left Earth, which we don't know however long ago was. And they've just been presented with it and they're like, oh, that is a thing that I used to do. That's what's in my mind. Yep. And uh, the reason I ask you as someone who hasn't read the book is that's exactly the sort of thing that was going through my mind as well as I was reading uh. those first statements. In fact, the objects are way more obscure than that. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so I think I bookmarked statement 57 for you to take a look at. Do you want to mm -hmm. take a look and, and read that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, statement 57. One of the objects I say was about the size of a small dog. 
is shining like a maggot from a different world. But also like a talisman I used to wear a chain around my neck when I was a child and would put it in my mouth and suck. Whenever I see it there in the room, I feel the same urge to put it in my mouth, though it is far too big for me to be able to do so. Still, I want to be in contact with it through my mouth, to understand it with my mouth. Loving it is like loving a body part, detached from the body. Not mutilated, just a part, detached and alive, an adornment. In me, the object is as small as the egg of a titmouse, and as big as the room, or bigger, like a museum, building, or a monument, a secure and pleasant vessel, holding inside it a disaster retold. Have you got any idea what that object looks like? Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. So I think it's important here because this absolutely baffled me, right? You get the idea. There's a few descriptions of objects that are like that as you Mm -hmm. go along. And so it's helpful actually to have some background into how the book got made because I had to look this up. Right, okay. So the book was actually written initially to accompany an art exhibition. Uh, So these objects are created by a sculptor and they then inspired these little snippets that went alongside the objects as part of the art exhibition. It was kind of... Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Right. Now, the book, I think, actually stands on its own. You don't need Mm. to look up the objects from the art exhibition to read the book because you just need to get the idea that, look, you're not going to be able to visualise these objects, right? (laughs) They're not going to make sense. But what you then get is the book kind of becomes trying to describe how we react to art, mm. which is a necessary... I mean, that is just a very obscure feeling, yeah. right? When yeah. you look at a piece of art, it's very difficult to put into words what you're getting from it or what it says to you or what it reminds you of. Yeah, It's really hard to find the words for that. And so the different ways in which these statements frame the objects or talk about the objects people's reactions to the objects are necessarily very i don't know difficult to grasp yeah but i know but i love that now you've put it in the context of art it kind of brings like some sense to it even though it's still it's still so abstract because i think that's i mean isn't that the kind of i guess the the beauty of art is that everyone goes in and looks at it and has a different thought feeling idea like if i look at a painting i might think of what it reminds me of if you look at a painting you might think man the texture on that looks so cool right i want to touch it (laughs) yeah put it in that context i think it brings us like a sense to it Mm -hmm. but doesn't take away from the abstract enjoyment of the book yes because i still want to read it and i still love to read it without seeing the objects (laughs) right that, that is in Precisely. And because those reactions are individual, that kind of drives home this weirdness of a book that has a group at its centre. Mm. And not just a group, but a group of humans and humanoids. Yeah. So people who you would imagine would react to the arts differently, right? Because yeah. not only do different people react differently, but you would imagine a humanoid reaction yeah. to art being very different too. Yeah. So, yeah, it's very much a book of ideas rather than a book of narrative (laughs) or plot. But there's so many interesting ideas in it. And you remember the objects are there because the company has some inkling that just being present with the objects or looking at the objects or being around the objects might make the work more efficient. Mm. I mean, that doesn't really come up very specifically again apart from in that introduction that we read yeah but it's interesting that i think what does emerge is that they found these objects on 
another planet and brought them into the spaceship. Yeah. And then I think the company has seen these objects coming in, thought, oh, they obviously have some power. People mm. react to them in some way. Maybe that will make them better at their work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it's the, like the instinct reaction. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's the reason that I think readings are so important for this book is it's not like... Um, and, and not, yeah yeah do I you see what, see what yeah. yeah it's not a linear narrative where there's a start middle end there's a, a like a, a main protagonist a, a a bad guy all that kind of thing it's it's like it's just like having a snippet from a different life essentially correct which, and i think like that's almost what the objects are obviously that there's something that's that's brought in from from somewhere else that from reading the two snippets that I've read, the observers aren't necessarily familiar with that specific object, mm. but they have a relation to it. And I guess that's talking about future fiction and things like that. When we, as people now, dig things up from the past, there's so many things that we've probably got wrong about items that we found just because we're like, well, that kind of reminds me of this that we used to do. Maybe it was that. And we don't know. We have absolutely no idea. But when we see it, hmm. we relate it to our life and what it makes us think of. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's just, it's really bringing in that, like, this is so abstract and yes, so relatable at the same time. Yeah. It's a really, really powerful book for mm. making you think about that stuff. And I think I would strongly recommend people to read it because the initial experience as you start getting into it, is a bit disconcerting. If I'm honest, a little bit frustrating. You feel like, well, I can't really get a grasp on what's going on. I'm not sure what I'm meant to be interested mm. in and what I'm not. I'm not sure what's filler and what's pertinent. <laughs> yeah. But it's just one of those books that once you put it down, it stays with you for a really long time. Yeah. You and you, fight... st you start kind of retrospectively decoding <laughs> it and figuring yeah. out what you thought about different things. Yeah. And I, I love that. I absolutely love that. It's definitely something I'm, I'm definitely going to read that. That's yeah, that I I'm think you should. <laughs> so now having said that there's no plot, mm. I'm just going to get very briefly into some spoilers for the ending uh -huh. because I think this is quite interesting. It's important to say... This is my interpretation of it because I can't definitively say this is exactly uh -huh. what's happened. So, spoiler alert, switch off now if you're not interested in finding out what happens in this book, such as it is. <laughs> so, the objects themselves seem to inspire slightly different reactions between the humans and the humanoids, not immediately, but over time. One of the things that seems to come out in a lot of the clearly human statements is a sense of nostalgia like you saw that um, one about you read the one about shopping mm. or they remember things from earth or smells or you know there's a there's a nostalgia there the humanoids of course don't have anything to be nostalgic mm -hmm. for maybe um, you know they have an idea of what nostalgia is or how it could work but they don't have that nostalgic past of being on earth and so gradually the humans and humanoids get a little bit more distant on the ship okay interesting. Um, and this causes some unspecified conflict mm -hmm. i think literally with this book it could be in there precisely what the conflict is and i've yeah. just missed it it's like <laughs> i mean you've seen the tone of it and the style yeah, of it yeah. forgive me if i'm just wrong but there's some unspecified conflict and the ultimate only resolution is to destroy the ship right <laughs> And that's what the last kind of few pages are are wow. consumed with is this inevitability of 
an end of death of finishing yeah. burn it and start again <laughs> burn it and start again exactly wow. right so there's again those events they seem like oh now it's getting going but mm. it's not that it's actually a new avenue for the type of philosophical exploration <laughs> that's already been going on throughout yeah, the entire yeah. thing so i think there's a few things that are working really really well for this novel there's this examination of so many different things through just the style of the prose like it really is uh, they're statements but they're they're almost little poems like the mm. longest one is about three pages long right. and it, like i say you can unpack every sentence and things will sit with you for ages yeah so it's got that but also by the nature of their shortness it keeps you going it keeps you turning the pages you can read this in one sitting yeah or you can spend a week over it and i think you'll get completely different things out of the yeah. book it really feels like not so much a novel but more uh it does feel closer to an art exhibition yeah yeah where you can go around it the one time and get your thoughts and feelings on different things but if you go back next week you'll think something different and if you go around slower you'll feel yeah. differently about different things if you go around quicker you'll feel differently yeah. about different things it really really is a, a powerful and powerfully different type of future mm. fiction i think that's great i mean and, it, and it's great to have to explore these kind of things because i think when you do think about future fiction it is exploring something that is unknown so to explore it in a medium that is different is also it just opens up a whole new kettle of fish as it were <laughs> to, to try and to try and unpack so I, yeah I, I really like the idea of have that book that sounds such like a such a good such a good idea of a way to explore that kind of subject in that kind of that kind of space yeah yeah definitely if you if you like things that are going to make you work a little bit harder that are maybe a little bit more out there that you're going to have to put your own interpretation on this is a great great book and i really do recommend trying it out for yourself it's a quick read or it's a long read read. (laughs) whichever you decide whichever you decide but i think i think that's all that i have to say about it it's one that really does have to be experienced it was a challenge (laughs) to talk about i must say yeah i bet it i bet it was when there's no real like plot to follow like and then this happens yeah that can be yeah so so props to you props to you for making it sound quite like i don't know sensible i think is the idea not sensible what's the word i'm looking for for making it make sense to the best of its ability i think i've got a clear idea of what that book is without it being ruined that makes sense all i was going for excellent (laughs) excellent good job thanks for listening to what next the future fiction podcast Be a part of our collective future by visiting futurepod.co.uk. You'll find reading lists and release dates for all of our upcoming episodes, as well as ways to get involved. Whatever the future holds, let's go there together.